0: In this series, we're talking about uh, questions that we have for God or questioning God. And you may have felt that, you may have experienced that right now or at different times in your life that you have questions for God or that you are even questioning God, that you're unsure about things. And part of the reason that this is so important is because we want life to make sense, right? We want life to make sense. There's certain things that we just feel like this is just the way it should be. This is what should happen. And you can think about that from all sorts of different avenues. But we, we think in life, I should work hard, get a job. I should be able to meet somebody, have kids, buy a house. There should just kind of be a natural progression. We kind of just think that's how life works. There should just be a natural progress in things. We don't think there should be disruptions. We don't think there should be pain. We don't think there should be suffering. We think good people, if I live a good life and do good things and live the right way, that life should be good and life should go the right way and things should happen. Uh, We watch uh, movies as a family, as I'm sure many of you do, and I don't think I've ever watched a movie where, in the end, the bad guy wins and it's just over. You watch Jurassic Park and it's just, yep, the dinosaurs killed everybody, the end, and the movie just ends. Like, that never happens, right? There's always a good resolution in some way. Even if the hero dies to sacrifice for people and save people, there's still a good resolution. It still is, okay, yes, the movie ended in the way that we would want it to end. It doesn't just, the screen doesn't just go black. And, oh, I guess the nuclear bomb went off and the movie's over. Like, abrupt ending. That, That never happens. You're able to travel back in time and fix it or something, right? We expect that life should go well, that things should resolve, that things should be the way that we would want them to be. And even if you don't buy into the idea of karma, where bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people and whatever you put in is what you get out, even if you don't believe that religiously, we often operate with that mentality, that that is what should happen. Fairness, justice, that's what we expect. And yet, oftentimes, that's not what life is like. A lot of times, life is confusing. A lot of times, there's unanswered questions. A lot of times, some things make sense, but the whole doesn't make sense. We don't quite see the whole picture. You might see a couple steps and parts of it you can get, but the whole of it, there's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of unanswered prayers. There's a lot of things that just perplex us that we, that we don't get. We live with confusion. Sometimes evil wins in the real world. Sometimes those that commit injustice get ahead in the world. Sometimes those that are totally godless are the richest people, the most successful. Sometimes those that could care less, everything's going right for them in their life. Sometimes that's what life actually looks like. Sometimes you pray for a parking spot, and you get it. And you pray for somebody you love to be healed, and they don't. And that doesn't make sense. Sometimes you try and you do all the right things, but all the outcomes that should happen don't. Sometimes I remember a friend of mine who was a part of this church, had four kids and his wife was pregnant and he died of brain cancer and he had actually gone in for surgery and it seemed like everything went well but then he got an infection and died within a week that doesn't make sense i did his funeral and it didn't make sense to see how god how could you allow this to have four kids and a pregnant wife and take him away that doesn't make sense Why would you allow it to seem like it was going to work and then kind of pull the rug out from under? Why? That doesn't make sense. There's some other people, God, I could give you a list of that should be killed, but not him. I wasn't actually joking, but yeah. (laughs) Why? That doesn't make sense. And so when that happens, we've got questions, right? When that happens, we've got confusion. When that happens, we wrestle. When that happens, we struggle internally, and we can struggle with God. We can have questions for God. We all face trouble in life, right? We all face suffering, bigs, lows, highs, extreme, small things. We all face trouble. In the world around us, we see things that don't make sense, sickness physically that doesn't make sense, financial issues that don't make sense, hurt relationally that doesn't make sense, ways that we want to change and it's not happening the way we want, death, it's confusing, challenging. And it's easy to then lose joy, lose hope, lose endurance, lose faith even. It's easy. How we handle the challenges that we face, how we handle the suffering that we face, how we handle the trouble that we face will set a course for your life. A big part of who you will become in life is based on how you handle the troubles, trials, suffering, questions, struggles that you face. A big part of the person that you will become five years from now, ten years from now, a big part of that is going to be based on how you handle the questions and struggles and confusing things that come into your life. It will set a trajectory, one of bitterness, one of isolation, one of hurt, one of doubt, one of just kind of tapping out, or one of joy and strength and endurance. It'll set a course for your life. And Habakkuk is a great guide for us. He's a great guide to help us figure out how do we handle these things and how do we move? The book starts, and today we'll be in it. And if you didn't listen to last week, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that. The book starts with questions. struggles, but it moves. It moves from fear to faith. It moves from worry to worship. It moves from problems to understanding God's presence. It has a movement in it, which is why it's such a great guide for us with the big things, with laying a foundation for your life, but also with the daily troubles that we experience. So think about this as we, as we begin today. Where do you feel like life doesn't make sense? It might be right now, or it might be in your past that you reflect on, yeah, I just still don't get that. Where do you feel like life doesn't make sense. What are the unanswered questions? What's the confusion? What's the trouble that you're in right now that you face? That you feel like I, I just I don't get it. What if you could learn to handle that in a way that led to a trajectory of your life of deeper strength and boldness and joy? That's what Habakkuk wants to guide us into, and and today he's going as a guide going to show us. Three things that we need as we go through this journey. So let's look at this. The first that we need is prayer. And obviously, you would say, of course you're going to say that. You know, <laughs> That's very basic, and yet we need this. And let me give you just a quick recap from last week. If you weren't here, or even if you were here, we need recaps. They're helpful. The nation of Israel is spiritually, morally, everythingly corrupt. Totally corrupt. And Habakkuk is crying out to God saying, how long is this going to go on? Why are you allowing this? When are you going to fix this? When are you going to do something about this? Where are you? Why are you letting this happen? He, he has all these questions that he brings to God. And God responds to him. And God says, well, It's not that I'm not doing anything. I actually am doing something. You just have missed it. I am doing something. And then God tells him, what I'm going to do is actually going to blow your mind. You're not even going to believe what I'm going to do. I'm wiser than you are. And then what he tells him, the answer that he gives him, is I am going to use the nation of Babylon or the Chaldeans to come and bring judgment to Israel. They're going to destroy you and overtake you. That's the answer that God gives to him. He doesn't like that. That's really where we ended last week. But, as you might expect and as you might feel if this was in your life, he's got more questions then. Wait, I called out to you. I was praying to you. And the answer you gave to me was really not what I wanted it to be. God, I need help. Everything is hard. And God says, it's okay I'm going to bring someone to judge you and your whole country. Like, that? not what I was thinking the answer was going to be. I thought maybe a friend with a hug or a check in the mail or something, like what my friend got. Not, yeah, you're going to be judged. So he's got more questions. So here's what he says after God has given him that answer. He says, are you not from eternity, Lord my God? my holy one, you will not die. Lord, you appointed them to execute judgment. My rock, you destined them to punish us. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil and you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent while one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? So his questions kind of switch to now being, God, this doesn't make any sense that you're going to use a more corrupt nation to judge us. Yeah, we're bad, but they're way worse. It doesn't make sense that you're going to use them to judge us. Can't, don't you see what's going on? You're too pure to look on evil. Why would you let this happen? You have made mankind, he goes on this extended fishing metaphor. He says, you have made mankind like the fish of the sea, like marine creatures that have no ruler, just kind of you know, fish, just, they're just swimming around. There's just chaos. And the Chaldeans pull them all up with a hook. They catch them in their dragnet, gather them in their fishing net. That is why they are glad and rejoice. The, the Babylonians just come into civilizations, and this is what they're going to do to us, but they just come into civilizations, and it's like catching fish in a barrel. They just scoop everybody up. They just hook everybody. And they, the Babylonians would actually do this. They would actually put uh, hooks through people's mouths and kind of string them together to keep them in line. This is why they sacrifice to their dragnet and burn incense to their fishing net. For by these things, their portion is rich and their food plentiful. Will they therefore empty their net and continually slaughter nations without mercy? You're just gonna let this keep going on? You're gonna let them just keep kind of destroying everybody and catching everybody like fish and hooking every. You're gonna let them just slaughter people mercilessly? you're going to keep letting that happen? This is where he begins. More questions that he has for God. Why does he have more questions? He, he starts the book. He asks questions to God. God answers him. I am doing something. I am wise. And listen, if God would have stopped there, he would have been okay. So if you pray and you call out to God and you have questions for God and you pour out your heart and you bring them to him and you say, God, why, 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 why? And God answers you and what God says is, I'm smarter than you and I know what I'm doing and I'm working, I'm powerful. Here's what you will do. Thank you, God. And move on. But when it gets specific, that's when we start to struggle for Habakkuk he calls out to God he's okay probably with the generic truth but the spe- the specific application of it he doesn't like if God tells you i work all things for good you like that verse but when he says i work all things for good and i'm going to allow disease to come into your life or kill someone you love we don't like that specific application i want you to trust me in all situations you can do all things through Christ Say, I like that. So therefore, you are going to be unemployed for a year. You're going to have extreme financial difficulty. I don't like that specific application. I want you to follow me. I want you to pick up your cross daily and die and walk with me. Say, I like that. Okay. But when it comes to specific acts of obedience, we don't. I want you to love and forgive that difficult person. Uh, I don't like that. I want you to give up your resources, your time, your treasures. I don't like that. Even if you think about the rich young ruler, that story, if you're familiar with that, and he comes to Jesus and says, I've obeyed all the commandments. And Jesus says, okay, great. Let's see if you can handle this specific application. Go sell everything you have and follow me. I don't like that. We are okay with broad principles of who God is but when it comes to specific applications of what he chooses to do in our lives, we don't like it often. This is what Habakkuk is experiencing, that he comes to God and brings his questions. God answers him, but because it is specific things that he doesn't like, he now has more questions. And I told you this last week, but what makes that even harder, what makes it harder, is that Habakkuk knows who God is. Look how he prays. Aren't you from eternity? Yes. Aren't you the Holy One? He calls him even se- several times, my God, my Holy One, my rock. It's very personal. He is close with God. It's not he has some abstract relationship with God or just kind of checks in once in a while, goes to church every few months. He's, that's, he, is, he has a very personal, close relationship with God. My God my rock, my holy one. He's showing a very personal connection and he's showing he knows who God is. He knows who God is. But what I told you last week is that's what often makes things harder. The hardest part often of the Christian life is knowing who God is and not seeing him be what you feel would be consistent with that. Knowing who God is, knowing that he is rock, Knowing that he is too pure to look on evil, knowing that he's from eternity, knowing that he is your God. But he doesn't seem to be coming through the way that you would have hoped or what would make sense to you. The hardest part is knowing God's character, knowing he loves you, knowing he's powerful, knowing he's strong, knowing he can intervene, but then not seeing it happen. We sing songs. We sing songs like Waymaker, which is, you know, you you will make things happen. You make things happen. We sing those songs and then go, but what if you're not doing it? There's a song, I don't don't think we normally sing it here, but a popular song called Same God that, that walks through and looks at, you're the same God that showed up here in the Old Testament. You're the same God that did. But, okay, yeah, he did those miracles, but if you are that same God, how come you're not doing it now for me? If you love me in all the songs that I sing, why aren't you doing what would seem loving to me? I know that when my wife and I, years ago, went through multiple, several miscarriages and struggling with God to say, why? How does that make sense? I thought you are, I thought you care. I thought you are powerful. I thought you can heal. I thought you can intervene. I I've seen you do it here. To go, why aren't you being consistent with who I know that you are? My God. My rock. Why aren't you being consistent? This is one of the hardest things. And if you're not a Christian, that might be part of what has kept you from God. I was talking to someone this week who said that a friend of theirs said that very thing the reason i don't believe in god is because my mom trusted in god and god let her down god didn't show up so i, I couldn't believe in a god like that or maybe you do believe in god and you're still here but it's part of why your relationship with god has gone cold it's hard to have a lot of hope and love and confidence if you just feel like yeah you're just going to let me down we can sing all the songs about how powerful you are and faithful you are and loving you are and Wise you are, but you don't really come through when it counts. This can be one of the greatest difficulties of faith in the Christian life. And let me tell you something. That's okay. It's hard. It's hard. And that's okay. One of the most common properties of God throughout the Bible is that he is confusing to us. We don't get it. We don't understand the way he does things and why he does things. That's normal. That's okay that you feel that way. Habakkuk feels that way. That is a common experience of God's people. You are are a part of the community of the confused. That's okay. That's okay. And here's the key. God put this in the Bible. God put this book of questions and wrestling and struggle and all of these things of you're being inconsistent and this doesn't make sense to me. God, this didn't get in here by accident. God wasn't like, oh, publishing error. Where's my editor? God put that in his word. God is okay with this being expressed. And more than just God's okay with it, like I'll let it slide. It's a really small book. Most people will skip it. It's not even like that. God wants to give voice to this experience that is common to his people. God wants to give the words. He wants to give the voice to the struggle of the inconsistency and the confusion and the unanswered. God put it in here, which means in his wisdom, he's wanting to lead us and guide us when we're in the middle of that. It means that God sees that experience. And it means he cares about it enough that he gives us a book of the Bible that says, I want to help you have the words to live through that. I want to help guide you when you are in the middle of that. It means that God is inviting us to share with him when we're there. And it means he's equipped to handle it. It means he's equipped to deal with it. It means if you have questions and if you wrestle and if you say, God, this doesn't... Seem to fit, it's not like God can't deal with it. He says, No, I can't. And you know, even more than Habakkuk, we have Jesus, who in the incarnation, God became man and lived in this world of confusion and trouble and suffering and brokenness and unanswered prayers, even. Jesus lived in the middle of that. So, In Habakkuk, we can say God gets it because he gave us this book. But in the incarnation, we can actually see more than that, which is Jesus lived in the middle of this kind of world that you and I live in. Which is why when you get to the book of Hebrews, it will say that because Jesus took on our flesh, because he walked in the way that we walked, because he lived as a human facing the trials and temptations and struggles that we face, he's able to deal with us lovingly, sympathetically. He gets it. He understands it. He's walked in it. And so it says, so you can can come to him because he's lived it. He understands it. This is key to the kind of prayer that Habakkuk has. Faith told you this last week, is bringing to God your pain. It's turning your pain into prayer. It's when all you feel is pain, when all you have is questions, when all you feel is confusion, when you don't get it, Habakkuk says, you still come and pray. You still come to him. That's faith. In the difficult moments, it's still coming. Even when you get the answer you don't like, he comes back. And if you want to be guided through in the big and the small things of your life, this is the key. Prayer that keeps coming to God. Prayer that knows he cares, he gives voice to, he understands, he's equipped to deal with it, he's lived it, he's able to deal gently with me since he himself has walked in the flesh on this confusing earth. Prayer. Prayer. That's the first thing we need as a guide. And the second thing we need is a kind of posture. It be three Ps for you today. <clears throat> we need a kind of posture. It's not just praying. If we want to move from worry to worship, from fear to faith, if we want that, we need a kind of posture as we come to God. So think about when you struggle. Maybe it's been this week or maybe seasons of your life that you can think about or maybe even not big things but just small little trials that you face this week. When when you struggle, even if you do come to God, when you have questions, when you pray, when you wrestle, what's your posture as you come to him? What's your attitude? What's your demeanor? What's the way that you approach him? What's the way? What's going on in your life? heart when you come to him. Sometimes it might be as we come and we pray, just kind of a begging, God, please, please, please. Really saying, we don't really think he's good and we have to twist his arm to help us. Sometimes the way we come is venting. We just kind of, we might pray, but we're really just listing out all the problems that are happening in our life. God, this is happening, and this is happening, and this sucks. and kind of sounds like a country song, and this is awful, and this is bad, and amen. And that's kind of the end. Maybe a help at the end of it. Sometimes it might be filled with self-pity. We are pouring out our heart to God, but our posture really is just, God, everything is awful, and no one likes me, and I can't do anything. It's just kind of self-pity. And that's kind of the posture that we have. Or it might be just kind of prayer mode. Sometimes when we're struggling and we're facing troubles, we just kind of go through the motions. We know we're supposed to pray, and maybe it's at church, or maybe it's at a community group or with a friend, and we know we're supposed to pray, but really it's just kind of, okay, God, here's what's happening. Please help me. The end. What kind of posture do you approach God with when you are wrestling, struggling, have questions, we need something better than what I just described. And here's what he says. He comes to him. He brings all his questions. He brings all the stuff. And then here's what he says next. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply about my complaint. So he brings everything to God. And then he says, I'm going to listen. That's the posture that he takes. He brings it all to God and then says, and now I'm going to be quiet. And I am in a posture of listening. And he even uses this language to say, I'm going to station myself on the lookout tower. Now, maybe that was literal. He was going to go up to a a tower point. But it is at least, if not also literal, at least... Metaphorical to say, I need to get a right view on things. I need to get a higher perspective on things. I need to listen and receive what God has and, and just be able to see what's going on. If you've ever climbed kind of a higher mountain that has a really good view, my son and I did a 14er uh, this summer, And my body is still recovering a little bit from that. And when we got up to the top, you can just see 360, everything around you. Full view of everything. If you have ever uh, been on the hike, uh, I think it's called Devil's Tower in Colorado also. It's like a fire lookout. And it goes up these deep, high, high, high steps. And there's a tower up there. And they use it to be able to see where are their forest fires. If you want to actually see what's going on, you have to have a higher perspective. You have to get up high. And here's here's why. Because pain and struggle and trouble in your life often makes you myopic or tunnel vision. When we go through pain, when we go through struggle, trouble, oftentimes all we see is that. That's all we can see. You don't see the other good things God's doing. You're not able to rejoice in other things happening in other people's lives. You're not able to remember what God's done in the past in your life. All you can see is the pain. All you see is the trouble. And imagine what that then begins to create in your life. If all you see, if what fills your vision, if what fills your heart and mind is just problems, pain, negativity, That creates anxiety, it creates fear, it creates depression, creates grief, creates isolation often from others, creates all sorts of things, right? That's how pain often is, which is why Habakkuk says, I've poured out my heart with all of these things going on, all of these questions and wrestle that is real that I have. But the posture he takes is, I want to listen to you now. I need to, I need to, I need to. Listen, because that will help me to actually see. Have you felt at times in your pain and struggles, all you can see is the pain? Someone asks you about your day, all you can think about is the bad things. Someone asks you about your week or your life or your year, all you can think about. If someone asks you about your job or your kids or your marriage, all you can think about is what's bad. That's all you can see. And at times, you don't even want to hear. Someone might try to give you some counsel or bring God's word. And you don't even want to hear it. And it seems shallow to you. And you don't even want to listen. And no one could give you any good advice. No one might be able to give you any correction. No one might be able to give you any encouragement even. It just, it doesn't matter. Because you're, all you can see is the pain. And what Habakkuk says that we need, if we want to move, is a posture that's better than that, more than that. A posture that says, I need to listen. I need your viewpoint. I need to be as if I'm on top of the tower, being able to see how you see, and so I need to hear from you, God. Speak to me. I can pour out my heart, but I need you to pour out your heart to me. I can share my words, but I need you to share your word with me. And the way that we do that is not by going up on a tower. The way that we do that is by opening God's word and saying, I need to hear from you. I need to listen to you. So speak to me. I need to hear what you have to say. So speak to me. We need a posture of humility, a posture that says, I'm lost. I need help. I don't get it. I might be foolish and doing it wrong. I might not see. I might be going the wrong way. So help me, God. That's the posture that we need. Not just venting, not just self-pity, not just anger, not just going through the motions of prayer, not so focused that, that nothing else can come in, but a posture that says, I need help. Let me see things the way you do. That's the posture that we need. Is that your posture? If you're going through it right now, or if you have in the past, is that the posture that you bring? A genuine God. I need you. I need you. I need your people. I need. I'm needy. That's the posture that we need. And then, the, th- the third part is there's a pathway that he gives to us. We need a prayer. We need a posture and we need a pathway, which is just essentially, what do I do? Okay, so I come to God, and I pray, yes, and I understand that in the middle of that prayer, God cares, the fact that he gives voice to it. I need a certain posture of humility to receive, but then what do I actually do? What's next? What are the steps I take? And there's a lot of things, and if we did a a series throughout the whole Bible on how to kind of handle suffering or trial or trouble, there'd be a lot of things, but we see a few things that he gives to us here of what the pathway is. And it comes in God's response. So Habakkuk pours out his heart. He waits for God to speak. And here's what God says. He says, the Lord answered me. Write down this vision. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it since it will certainly come and not be late. The first thing that we need to do, the first part of this pathway, is that we need to read. God says, I'm going to speak. I'm going to give you my answer. And in fact, I I want you to make sure that you very carefully write it down, not just for you, but so others may read it. Because it's not going to happen yet. This is for the appointed time. And I want people to be able to easily read what I say. Now, that's how we get this book. Because Habakkuk listened. But here's what this tells us when we're going through whatever sort of struggle or pain or trouble, that the pathway begins with this. We need to listen to God. We need to read his word. God preserved his word in this book the whole book to be able to listen to him we need he wants us to be able to easily read his word and what a miracle that we live in a time that you can order something on Amazon on the same device that you can read God's word we have different kind of tablets today but we still can read God's word And here's the thing, God's not sneaky. He's not, yes, God is mysterious. Yes, we often experience him to be confusing. But God's not sneaky. He wants to speak into your life. We might not always get and understand the answers that he gives, but he does give answers. We may not always like the answers he gives, but he does speak. He might be confusing, but he is clear. He speaks to us. He communicates with us. He shares his heart with us. He gives his promises to us. He gives gives the future even to us. He tells us who he is. He tells us about his work. He tells us about who we are. He tells us about our life and what he's doing. He speaks to us, and that is his first answer. Read what I'm going to say. Now, for us, that is the Bible. For us, that is his word. We open it and read. If you're struggling and going through trouble and pain, and you will not make it if you just try to figure it out. And listen to me, you won't even make it just by praying. You need to hear His voice speaking to you and to read it. It's part of why we need other people in our life. It's part of why we need community groups or LTGs as people to read it with and communicate and help us understand it together. It's part of why this is important. Because you're hearing God's Word. You're reading God's Word. You're hearing it in your life. We need, in all of our trouble, in all of our pain, in all of our struggle, to receive God's word. That's the first step of the pathway. And what God says that Habakkuk and his people will need if they're going to make it, we have to read. Because God speaks. God speaks. Isn't that amazing? You... You are not left to your own devices to figure everything out. God speaks to you. Second thing is that we have to wait. Though it delays, wait for it. We have to wait. It's the worst four-letter word in the Bible. Wait. Wait. It's like if you're at the crosswalk and you press the button and it says, wait, wait, wait. I don't know if we have one like that next to my house. I hate that thing. I want to just sledgehammer it, you know. Wait, wait. That's the voice I hear when I hear this. <laughs> Although I was on the other side of the street. Normally, I'm not crossing from that side. I was on the other side of the street and it was a different voice. It wasn't like a male robot voice. It was like a, I don't know, it sounded like a British lady. And she was like, wait, wait. I was like, okay, thank you. I guess, ma'am, I will. It's just a different tone, you know? I don't know what you're facing or what you're asking for from God. I don't know what you look at in the world that bothers you. Maybe you're single. You want to get married. Maybe you're stressed out. Problems haven't resolved. Maybe there's things, you know, one of the worst things is being stuck in the middle. Sometimes if you just know, this is where it is and it sucks. It's like, okay, well, at least I know. But when you're in the middle... It's like, oh, is this going to be bad? Is this going to be good? And you just have to wait. That's (laughs) so bad to just be stuck in the middle. I don't know if maybe you feel in that place. Maybe there's things you're asking God for with friendship or things that are happening in your friends' lives or maybe with your kids. And you're bringing it to God and you're asking him. Maybe it's in you and you want change. Maybe it's relational difficulties, all sorts of things. And we want it now, right? We're so used to Prime, Amazon Instant. Two days wasn't fast enough. It's like I want to press click and it to be there. I want click, ding dong. Yes, that's what I want, you know? It's like we, we call it snail mail derogatory, you know, when for a long time it was like a miracle that you could get a letter. Like, phew, snails, like we want it now, you know? <laughs> everything. I don't think I've ever felt and I don't think I've ever talked to anybody that has experienced and they're like, I asked God for this. Man, he was so quick. I don't, I've never felt that I prayed to God and was like, whoa, God, that was fast. I don't think that's ever happened. We want things immediately and if not, then we give up. If not, we find a way to go around God. God, I'm asking you to do this. You're not. So it doesn't really matter then if I'm in a relationship with someone who's Christian or not because I really want to get married. God, I really want you to do this. I really want you to solve this relationship problem. You're not, so I'm going to gossip. God, I really want you to fix this. I really want you to solve this. You're not. I'm angry. I'm going to be dishonest. I'm going to cheat a little bit. I really need financial help. Doesn't really matter if I fudge a little bit on the numbers here and there. We are willing to wait for a minute, maybe literally, but if we don't get what we're asking God for, oftentimes we go around. We use aggression instead of gentleness, we use harshness instead of persuasiveness. We are impatient. We circumvent what God has said and where God has said to wait. Because to wait is to trust he's in control. His timing is better. That there is an appointed time. To wait is to say, I believe you're not lying and I believe you're in control and I believe that you're wise and I'm going to trust you. That's what it means to wait. He's in control. His timing is better. It's okay to wait. Wait is not the same thing as late. To be waiting doesn't mean that God is running behind on things. God, I'll get to it in a second. I'm so disorganized. That's not God. Us waiting is God's wisdom that he knows what he's doing. There's a line from Lord of the Rings that Gandalf says, a wizard is never early and he's never late. He arrives precisely when he means to. And I think he ripped that off from Habakkuk. (laughs) Because that's what God says to us. I'm not early. I'm never late. I do it exactly when I I know what I'm doing. I, I love using the microwave. And... I remember when I was a kid, you'd go somewhere, I don't know, the fair or something like that and get a corn dog and be like, "Oh man, this is so good." And then go home, microwave it and be like, "Eh. We have a whole Costco box of these things. Like this this only took 45 seconds, but it's all soggy and mushy and But then I remember one time, I don't remember and I had never done this as a kid. I don't it's probably my wife cuz she doesn't use the microwave as much. Cooked a corn dog like in the oven. And it took, I don't know, 15 minutes or 20 minutes. And waiting made it so much better. Now, some of you like to barbecue or smoke. Or, and the, the recipe for barbecue is cook it as fast as you can. No, not really, right? It's low and slow. You let it simmer. Even with, my wife is such a great cook, even with a, a steak, if you cook a steak, you after you're done cooking it, you want to let it sit. Whereas I cut it. I mean, I I get it, and I want to just cut it and eat it. But you want to let it sit so that all the juices can still get back into it. Oftentimes, waiting produces a much better result than if you were to have something instantly. And if that's true with cooking, and if it's true with Gandalf, it's a lot more true with God. God knows. I'm doing things. I'm letting things simmer. I'm letting things marinate in your life. I'm letting the juices get in there. I'm letting... I'm, and some of you are getting hungry right now. I'm letting the... I'm, and I promise you we do not have barbecue at the, at the pastor's lunch. It's not low and slow. It's, <laughs> and God is saying, I'm, I'm doing stuff. I'm letting it get inside all the places it needs to be. We need to wait. That's part of the pathway. Part of the pathway is to wait. And if you look at the Bible, Abraham and Sarah, God promises them a child. When do they have it? They're like a hundred. Some of you, we have several of you that are pregnant right now, but I, I, when I came back, I was told like, oh, there's like six people pregnant. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't immediately think, oh, it's some of our older folks. I didn't think that, right? Like, I bet it's them. (laughs) And God promised to give him a child. They had to wait. God's people were in slavery in Egypt 400 years. They'd wait for the deliverance to come. Jesus said, "I'll be back soon." Well, okay. That's not the timing I hope my friends have when they're like, "I'll be at your house soon." <laughs> "When are we going to meet up? Soon, soon." Just wait for me. Like, our timing is a lot different than God's, and God's people are often waiting, and yet God is always faithful. The baby comes. The deliverance comes. God's people waited for a Messiah for years and years and years and years, and Jesus came, and we are in a place of waiting for his return, but he is always faithful, but we wait Waiting means we trust him. Waiting means we don't go around him. Waiting means just because we don't see what he's doing doesn't mean that we circumvent it and make a way for it to happen, which is what people are always tempted to do. Abraham gets a concubine. People try to take over Rome instead of waiting for the Messiah. People always try to go around what God's doing instead of wait for me. God's blessings do come. I read a book, In June, while I was studying and on vacation, it was a classic Puritan book on contentment. And I thought this was such a good quote that while we are waiting, one of the best ways to actually experience contentment in the middle of what we're going through is while you're waiting, he says this, I know nothing. So just, that's an important phrase. I know nothing more available for the quieting of a Christian soul and getting contentment than this the setting your heart on work about the duties of your very present condition that now you are in and taking heed of your thoughts about other conditions as a mere temptation. Saying, you want to know one of the best ways to be content? It's to wait for what God's going to do and just keep doing the things in front of you that you're supposed to do. Stop thinking about, yeah, but I want this condition instead and I want that thing and I want, what about this? And wouldn't this be better? And just... Here's one of the best ways to feel joy, contentment, peace. It's to have an active, another way to say it would be an active waiting. To keep doing good. To keep praying. To keep being obedient. To keep loving the people around you. To just keep doing the work about the duties of your present condition. Not focus so much on, yeah, but when financially things change, or when relationally things change, or when spiritually things change. It's just do the things in front of you right now. That's an active waiting. And then here's the last thing that he gives to us in this pathway. To read, to wait, and then here's the last section. He says, look, God is speaking, look about the Babylonians. His ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol And like death, he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. So he's talking about how the Babylonians live, just continuing to get more and more and more, and they're never satisfied, and they're full of themselves. Their ego's inflated. But here's what we do. The righteous one will live by his faith. To live by faith, that's the next part of the pathway and really the key to so many things. What is the opposite of faith? We might think it's doubt. We might think it's unbelief, just not believing in God. We might think it's other faith, belief in other religions or other things. And all of those are partially true. But the comparison here is that the opposite of faith is ego. There's the person with his ego, but, so contrasted to that, The righteous one will live by faith. The opposite of living by faith is actually a trust in yourself. A faith in yourself. That's our ultimate temptation. But what's interesting is this. When we face trouble, when we face struggle, when we face difficulty, oftentimes that's exactly what we go to. I'm struggling. What do I need? More self-confidence. I'm struggling. What do I need? Just trust yourself. Just believe in yourself. Just love yourself. Just forgive yourself. Just have some, and I'm not saying this is all bad, but have some self-care. Oftentimes, the very thing that we lean on in the middle of trouble and struggle and questions and confusion and difficulty is exactly the opposite of what we need. The punchline of every inspirational movie is what you need is you. More you. Translation, be a Babylonian. You'll get through it. That's the opposite of what we need. What we need is to live by faith. Which means I take my trust away from myself and I put it on him. My favorite definition of faith is resting and relying on him alone. Now, About Jesus, it says, as he has offered to us in the gospel. That's from the New City Catechism. But it's faith is taking my trust away from me. You want the pathway to get through? You want the pathway to make it through? Whatever you're dealing with? The world, even good-meaning, well-meaning friends, and sometimes parents and teachers and mentors, everybody else around you is going to tell you, you need more of yourself to make it through. Dig a little deeper. And God is saying, that's exactly the problem. The righteous one will live by faith. Trust in me. Confidence in me. Forgiveness from me. Care from me. Belief in me following not you and your heart, but me. Everything is the opposite. And it's the pathway that will make you through. Sometimes, let me just tell you this. Maybe the reason you're not making it through, maybe the reason it's so hard is you've bought into all the swirling voices around you and God is saying, this is the way. And you even feel like, I'm trying, I'm trying to obey God and do what he says. And yet, you're not living by faith in him, but by faith in you. And you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. But he is. So to live by faith means to face all of our suffering, all of our trust, all of our struggling, all of our troubles, saying, I trust you. I trust who you are. I trust what you will do. Even when I don't see, even when I don't get it, even when I don't like the answers I do get, I trust you. I trust that you know what you are doing. I don't know if you've ever had surgery and you had to go under. In that moment, you're saying, I am, I'm not confident in myself. I'm not trusting myself. You're saying, I trust you your expertise, your wisdom, your past, your experience, your history, your credentials. I am letting you do things to me that I don't even know what you're doing because I can't see it. I don't even know what you're doing. I don't understand it. I don't even know what you're doing. It's going to happen while I'm sleeping. But I trust you even though I don't see. I trust your history, your credentials, your character. If you do that with a doctor, how much more so with the God of the universe? That's what living by faith means. It means that we face it all with him. So, yeah, I know. We want answers. We want the removal of things. We want a plan laid out. He says, live by faith. Trust me. And here's what happens when you do that. It's the opposite of all these things. The person that's arrogant is never at rest and never satisfied. But you know what happens when you trust God? You can be at rest. Don't you want that? You can be satisfied, content with what he's given you. The person that's arrogant, the person that's inflated with their ego can never be at rest, can never be satisfied. Person that lives by faith is able to actually experience trust, rest, satisfaction. That's what God wants to give to you. That's what He offers to you. That's where the pathway leads. So I don't know what you're facing, but I believe that you want to move. I believe that you want to experience progress. I believe that you want to experience more of who He is. I believe you want to experience rest and satisfaction. And God wants to give you the tools, the guide to that. Prayer, a posture, and a pathway. So you and I want life to make sense, right? And yet so often it won't. It doesn't. But it doesn't have to. That's okay. We can live in that tension as we live by faith. As we close, take communion just a moment here. We also remember how the New Testament picks up this verse about living by faith. And it applies it to trusting God in the middle of our circumstances, just like Habakkuk does. But it also applies it to our salvation. Saying that we live by faith. Not in, that your standing with God is not based on what you do. Your standing with God, your okayness with God, the way that you know that God accepts you, delights in you, forgives you, is not based on anything of anything in you. So you don't put any confidence or any trust in, I know I'll be okay with God because I've done this. I know I'll be okay with God because I've prayed enough or done enough or obeyed enough or, there's no trust or confidence in you, but it says live by faith. The righteous will live by faith, meaning I trust what he's done for me on the cross. I trust that Jesus forgives me. I trust I'm accepted by God because of Jesus. I trust that I have a secure future because of what Jesus has done. I trust that I'm cleansed of all shame because of what Jesus has done. I trust that I'm cared for and provided for because of what Jesus has done. I trust that God hears my prayers because of what Jesus has done. So the New Testament picks up this phrase and says, the righteous will live by faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. Not you, but what he's done for you. And when we take communion, that's what we're remembering, this ultimate fulfillment. Yes, you trust God in the provision of your life, but you trust God for more than that. You trust God that his broken body and his blood shed means you can count on him. He's done it all for you. And if he's done that for you, how much more everything else? If he's done that for you, if you can trust him and count on him and live by faith with that, how much more with the... Struggles and the troubles and the trials that you face, and so as you take communion, if you're a Christian, communion is something Christians do together to remember this work of Jesus. As you take communion, remember these things. Confess where you have trusted yourself. Confess where you haven't prayed or where your posture has been non—not one of humility. Confess. Receive His forgiveness. And then ask him to remind you again of how trustworthy he is. How he's proven it. Then we'll sing a few songs in response. I'll be in the back if anyone would like prayer for anything related to this or healing or anything in your life. God, I thank you that we can trust you, that we can count on you, that we know that whatever we're facing, whatever struggle we face we can count on you. We might not get it. Often we don't, God. But you are holy. You are wise. You are powerful. You are loving. And you are trustworthy and faithful. Thank you for showing us that in Jesus, ultimately. Let us deepen in our faith and live by faith. In your name, Jesus. Amen.